Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Simon Long, the finance editor at The Economist. This week on Money Talks, might artificial intelligence make as many jobs as it takes? Technology always cuts both ways. And I wouldn't exclude that in the long run, AI will reduce the number of jobs. But at this point in time, AI actually creates a lot of jobs. And how fidget spinners have transformed the toy industry. The exciting thing for fidgeters is that uh, people reckon that this has created a whole new market for fidgeting. So although spinners might be the last big thing, we've got a new generation of fidget toys. But before we turn to toys, we're going to talk about trade. This week, there have been a number of important developments. NAFTA trade talks begin on Wednesday between Canada, the US and Mexico. And on Monday, President Donald Trump signed a memorandum prompting an investigation into Chinese trade practices. The theft of intellectual property by foreign countries cost our nation millions of jobs and billions and billions of dollars each and every year. For too long, this wealth has been drained from our country while Washington has done nothing. They have never done anything about it. But Washington will turn a blind eye no longer. Today, I'm directing the United States Trade Representative to examine China's policies, practices, and actions with regard to the forced transfers of American technology and the theft of American intellectual property. Samir Keynes, our economics and trade correspondent, joins me now. Hello, Samir. Hello. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump was full of threats and promises about what he was going to do on trade. But I suppose we haven't really seen that much action. Is this the week that it starts? As a trade reporter, this has been fairly frustrating for me to hear so much talk but not much happening. But this week is the week. So NAFTA renegotiations are starting on Wednesday. It's the first round of renegotiations. All three sides are sitting down together for the first time to try and hash out a deal. And is a deal possible? Because on the campaign trail, Donald Trump made clear that he thought NAFTA was the worst deal ever and threatened to cancel it. On the face of it, it would seem difficult. But I think that a deal is possible. So if you look at the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we've got a recent trade deal that was agreed to by America, Canada and Mexico. Which Donald Trump pulled out of. Which Donald Trump pulled out of. But that deal is evidence that there is a list of things that all three countries could conceivably agree to. And that improved deal might include things like digital trade, e-commerce, rules prohibiting customs duties on digital products. It could also include things like the environment and labour. Back when NAFTA was first negotiated, these things were only included as separate side agreements. They weren't enforceable. Whereas under a new deal, you could bring those into the deal. And so if either one of the three partners violated their agreement, one of the other members could take them to court and say, no, you have to uphold these labour standards. And of course, Donald Trump and his voter base might quite like that if they worry that Mexican workers are undercutting them through unfair means. OK, so a deal might be possible on NAFTA. What about China, though? Again, on the campaign trail, Donald Trump was quite vicious in his threats. There were going to be 45% across the board tariffs. China was going to be labelled a currency manipulator. And instead, I watched his announcement yesterday, and it was pretty mild stuff, really, that we're, we're starting a process that might lead to an investigation into whether they're cheating on intellectual property. 
If it sounded mild, I think that might be because there is a certain amount of process. That process involves a long investigation. It could be between six months to a year. I think all sides would prefer to negotiate some kind of mutually beneficial agreement, maybe some deal where maybe the Chinese buy a bit more American stuff before they go down the route of, fine, let's go full out trade war and impose tariffs. So... It's not in your eyes that Donald Trump has sort of gone soft, first on NAFTA and now on China, but that NAFTA, there is a a better deal to be done. And on China, he's kind of biding his time. I think with NAFTA, what's happened since he came into office is that various parts of the administration have realised and have been communicating to him that to walk out of NAFTA would be pretty catastrophic, not just for America on average, but also for his voter base. On China, that kind of pushback just isn't there. Actually, both corporate America and political America are aligned that this is a problem. They want to get tough on China. So with China, we've got what might seem like a fairly soft measure, the soft investigation, but actually is a fairly aggressive act of unilateralism. This is America saying, we're going to use this tool that hasn't been used in in a while. We're not going to go through this multilateral World Trade Organization, which is the standard forum one should go to for addressing disputes. We're going to essentially go directly to China and say, if you don't do this thing that we want, we will hit you. So it's not all that soft. Samir Keynes, thank you very much. Thank you. Next, artificial intelligence. This is often talked about as something negative. Algorithms are stealing our jobs, or rogue robots are wiping out humanity. Indeed, Elon Musk, the boss of Tesla, tweeted on Friday, if you're not concerned about AI safety, you should be. Vastly more risk than North Korea. To his tweet, Mr Musk attached a picture of a slogan reading, in the end, the machines will win. But is AI not also a force for good? One such benefit could be job creation. I'm joined by Ludwig Siegler, our technology editor. Hi, Ludwig. Hi, Simon. I mean, why do you think we are so negative or read so much negative about AI? Because we've all watched The Terminator or some some such movies. And I think people are just afraid. It's like aliens. They come down to Earth, or in this case, we create them, and then, then they'll kill us or they take away jobs. And that may well happen. I suppose every wave of technological advance in history has been accompanied by resistance from those who fear this is going to take our jobs, it's going to destroy us. And then always in the past, new jobs have cropped up. But for many of us, it's quite hard to see in the case of AI what those jobs will be. What will they be? Technology always cuts both ways. And I wouldn't exclude that in the long run, AI will reduce the number of jobs. But at this point in time, AI actually creates a lot of jobs. So you have all this data but for uh, the computing system, for the algorithms to actually learn something from that data, very often that data has to be tagged. So let's take self-driving cars. You collect lots of footage of streets, but then people have to sit down actually and go through that footage and tell the computer, this is a car, this is a traffic sign, and so on and so forth. And that creates a lot of jobs. It may not be millions, but I think a few thousand people in China and India in particular work on these things. Presumably, they will only last so long as they're teaching the algorithms and eventually the algorithms will know it all. That's what one would expect. And to some extent, that is also true. Some routine things, at some point, the computer knows how to do these. But I think there will always be lots of jobs to be done for people to make the machines actually smart. The jobs you're describing that are created sound fairly niche in a way. I mean, they're not going to be of the numbers that are taken away, are they? There won't be enough of them. 
That is not clear to me. I, I wouldn't be able to say. At the time being, I think it sounds rather niche, but who knows? Historically, in, in Augsburg, when the printing press was introduced 500 years ago, you had these woodcutters, and they were really upset. They thought they're going to be unemployed, and they kind of re- literally stopped the presses and, and, and destroyed them, a bit like the Luddites. Uh, and they pretty quickly found out that actually, because the more and more books were printed, there were more and more need for them to illustrate books. So that created new jobs. So historically, I think that argument that technology will destroy jobs, has proven wrong. That may be different with AI, but we don't know. To come back to the Terminator analogy you made at the beginning, the future you're describing doesn't sound entirely encouraging to me. I mean, what you seem to be suggesting is that, yes, AI is going to take my job, but it will then harm me back to do the bits it doesn't like. Yes, that's one possible scenario. The other possible scenario is that the AI augments you. The AI takes away all dull jobs you don't want to do. So let's take an online travel agency. So the routine jobs like booking flight and all that can be done by the AI, but you will then be in charge to, oh, my customer, my client wants to have a city tour in French. Where do I get that? Or last minute changes in what they want to eat on the flight, stuff like that. So it's not clear to me whether AI will only create very dull, repetitive jobs like delineating pictures of traffic signs or some such. Ludovic Siegler, thank you very much for joining us and showing that human intelligence still has a role. Thanks, Simon. Well, what do you think about the coverage of AI? Let us know. We're on Twitter, at Economist Radio, and you can also reach us via emails to radio at economist.com. Sophie got in touch last week regarding the anti-diversity memo written by the now ex-Google software engineer James Damore. So the first step in Damore's argument is that there are biological differences between men and women that result in different aptitudes, and there is evidence that this is the case. However, the second step is the extension of these differences to conclude that women are less likely to excel in tech or management. This second step stretches the evidence beyond breaking point. You have hundreds of different types of leaders. To suggest that men are inherently better suited to lead is simply not backed up by the available evidence. To suggest otherwise is disingenuous. As the presenter of a show produced by a woman for a newspaper whose editor-in-chief is a woman... I can only agree. But finally, this year's toy craze, the fidget spinner. Playthings come and go. We've seen Go-Go's, Pokemon cards and Yo-Yo's. Myself, I'm so old, I used to play with marbles. Until I lost them, of course. But this latest gimmick has changed the industry and created a new generation of toys. The Economist's British business editor, Richard Cockett, joins me now. Hello, Richard. Hello, Simon. I expect I'm the last person in the world not to know what a fidget spinner is, but could you help at least me out by describing it and explaining it? Certainly. A fidget spinner is a small three-pronged device, and the prongs are shaped roughly like paddles. And basically, if you spin, you flick one of these paddles very forcefully, it then spins for anything up to two or three minutes in the basic version. And in the latest Japanese super version, it can spin around for 12 minutes. And the quality, it all depends on the quality of your ball bearings in the middle. It was originally invented, so legend has it, for children with attention deficit disorder or Asperger's. And the idea was that it kept them occupied, one part of their brain occupied with this fidget toy, so that they could concentrate more on what they were supposed to be concentrating on. 
But aren't they just gazing at it spinning around for 12 minutes? You might think so. And a lot of teachers and parents say that as well. And it's taken the toy world by storm. Yes. I mean, what's extraordinary about this story and what makes it totally novel is that it happened very, very quickly. So in January of this year, no one had heard of fidget spinners in the entire world. And then a couple of people began to play with them and put them on YouTube and Instagram. So it was a social media hit. And then a couple of sharp-eyed independent retailers and wholesalers in the States saw this craze suddenly on YouTube and began to order them from source in China. So suddenly the factories were turning out literally millions of fidget spinners, possibly a week, and they were being ported to begin with in the United States. By about March, they were the craze. So this is what is extraordinary, that it happened so quickly. And then in three weeks after that, it had crossed the Atlantic and then it invaded Europe and then the rest of the world. And by my reckoning, we've already reached peak fidget. I was going to say that. Even I have heard of this by now. We must have passed peak. So what's next? Well, the exciting thing for fidgeters is that uh, people reckon that this has created a whole new market for fidgeting. So although spinners might be the last big thing, we've got a new generation of fidget toys, one of which I have in front of me, which this one's called a, a fidget roller, which is a very unimpressive oblong-shaped object, which you sort of roll on the it's about, table. It's about the width of your palm. I yes, see. that's right. And then or more the excitingly, the if you can do it, if you knock it over slightly, it'll traverse along a table from top to bottom. Ah! Uh, oh, dear, no. Oh, dear. We were doing it upstairs pretty much to the length of this table. Uh, well, you can see how it's... Fidget spinners are better, I think. <laughs> So it can work if you're under 30. And that is destined to be the new toy which kids are going to be speaking about at school in three weeks' time. I know one importer in Britain who's imported 40,000 of these things just since the middle of July, hoping that this is going to go viral too and make him a fortune. Thank you very much, Richard. For once, I feel ahead of the trend. Good. That's all for this week's edition. To find out more about the issues we've covered, please pick up this week's issue of The Economist or log on to economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.